0: Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your producer and host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the creator and gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. The new year starts with the 101, or the beginner guide, for NFTs, blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and all those metaverse and Web3 topics we keep hearing about. We are all going back to school on Culture Factor to understand this decentralized economy. From creator coins to the tax implications of selling crypto, let's unpack these emerging technologies in really simple terms. Join me and feel free to send in your questions. Would your brand like to sponsor Culture Factor? It is your opportunity to be a part of a podcast that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 89 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com. Subscribe to Culture Factor and share with a friend now. Okay, let's start with our class. Let's get our next guest on. Hello, Culture Factor family. Today we have Chris Skinner with us, and he is known as one of the most influential people in technology and as an independent commentator on fintech through his blog, thefinancer.com. His latest book, I'm going to point out, it's his 16th, is called Doing Digital and he is the chair of the Nordic Future Innovation, is a non-executive director of 11FS and is on the advisory boards of many fintech and financial firms. Mr. Skinner has been an advisor to the United Nations, the White House, the World Bank and the World Economic Forum. He is a visiting lecturer with Cambridge University as well as a TEDx speaker. And in recent years, he has been voted one of the UK's foremost fintech observers by The Telegraph and one of the most influential people in financial technology by The Wall Street Journal's Financial News and Thomson Reuters. Chris is also a successful children's author and co founder of The Portrait Foundation, a nonprofit platform to encourage children and the arts. And today, He's with Culture Factor. Hi, Chris. Welcome.
1: Hi, Holly. I was wondering how long it would take you to read all of my introduction because, uh, as you said to me, I'm, I've am i been around the block a bit, but um, suffice to say, I still feel like every day is a fresh new day.
0: Well, it's a great way to look at it. I love that. Um, I want to dive into some really interesting. Um, interesting questions with you, um, most of which I've pilfered from your blog, thefinancer.com. So I'm going to encourage people to check that out. I think you have a pretty much a daily blog there that's pretty informative. So um, we'll, we'll put that in the notes too.
1: Yeah, I'm so sad that when someone told me I should start blogging, uh, I, that was back in 2007. And I decided to write something every single working day and have done ever since, 15 years.
0: Well, I will tell you that you probably are ranking with Google's love language and have a wonderful search engine optimization game going on. So I think you did the right thing not listening to them. (laughs) Um, So let's start actually, um, I'd like to start with the recent crash in crypto. Um, so in your blog, you state that you believe the end game will be a hybrid model of CBDCs. I'll let you define that stable coins and cryptocurrencies. I found it fascinating that you state that too many people believe these currencies are all about Holding, which in crypto slang is about keeping them as an investment holding on to them instead of what currencies are really about which you say is allowing the exchange of value to buy and sell products and services. So we're always taught to hold on to things and um, You know hold on to our investments and let them sit and it seems like you have a different perspective on that um, That you feel that creating currencies that work for value exchange in a networked world makes more sense to you So would you like an opportunity to give this more depth for those just beginning to invest in cryptocurrency? And please uh, define CBDC for my group.
1: Yes, so basically there's a whole range of digital value exchange currencies that have been spawned over the past decade. And there are now over 18,000 cryptocurrencies, of which about 10,000 are actively being used or invested in uh you probably only need a couple um, maybe five max um and i'll come back to that because the reason why people like cryptocurrencies like bitcoin is because they believe that this power of the state is too great and they want to be free and to be able to do whatever they want to do and that's what the network um generation is creating and and using, which is this ability to exchange across the global network without recognition of state borders. And so there's obviously a question around that, which is how do governments regulate something that doesn't recognize national borders, which is why governments um, are heavily developing central bank digital currencies, which is, uh, you know, if you imagine, Your dollar notes are now backed by the Federal Reserve and um, the Senate and the White House and can be exchanged digitally Um, as an alternative to a cryptocurrency. You have a digital dollar, then that's what the governments of the world want you to accept as fair trade. And in the middle of all of this is what's called stable coins, which are basically cryptocurrencies but tied to solid assets like the US dollar as their backing reserve mechanism, um, which has proven to be our model that isn't quite working right now, um, because one of the biggest ones called Terra USDT, which is tied to the US dollar, crashed along with its sister currency called Luna. And that's another long story. So you have these three different currency trade mechanisms in the network some backed by government some backed by assets and some backed by just the power of the people um which is bitcoin and the reason i said i think there'll be a hybrid model eventually is that we do need a global currency for the global network i I don't see any way in which the network generation age can survive in its current form if you have uh you know a government watching every transaction in and out of the network and trying to regulate it. Um, that works for the main economy. I don't think it works for the digital economy, and particularly as to move to Web3 and the metaverse and all the things that go around that, which effectively will say, well, you're living in the digital world. You're not even living in the real world. So where does Federal Reserve and central government fit in that model?
0: Right. So. You know, let me just uh, go back then to that hodling concept. So let's just say we are having a digital currency in a metaverse type of um, era, you think that it would be more solid um, if it is used in the exchange of buying and selling goods versus people just holding on to Bitcoin, which seems to be the prevailing conversation across all social media, hodl, 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 and you're saying no. Is that correct?
1: I'm saying that that's something that people will do right now, including me, because we're just on the tip of the iceberg of Where we're going and that's the reason why people want to uh hodl which is basically during a drunken reddit conversation someone said hodl instead of hold and it became hodling everyone's you know having fun using such terms like crypto kitties which is another thing uh around cryptocurrencies so basically the reason why people are uh, investing in bitcoin ethereum cardano polygon ripple and other currencies is that it's exactly what i was um, alluding to by the end of the 2020s, maybe mid 2030s, one, two or five of these currencies will be used by everybody around the world as major currencies in the same way as dollar, yuan and euro. And if you've invested in one of those, then 10, 15 years from now, your investment will be worth a lot, lot, lot more because it's backed by the power of the network. And money, you know, we have to strip it back. In fact, we're having a debate about this in my Nordic group. What, What, what is money? You know, we think of it as the notes and coins in our pockets and purses, yet we very rapidly moved away from that to just using digital wallets and Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or Google Pay or whatever pay you use. And it's just numbers. It's just digits and bits and bytes today. And if those are cryptocurrencies, so be it.
0: Interesting. Uh, Let me actually go back. I know it's probably a bigger conversation, but I would feel remiss if I didn't tap into the conversation about um, stable coins and Terra and why... So it's backed against the US dollar and that's where it went awry and where the system broke down and we had that whole fallout um, in cryptocurrency. Do you want to tap into that story a little bit so people understand why that happened?
1: Yeah I did blog about it if they want to know more Um, but basically Terra as a stable coin is meant to have one US dollar behind every coin And then if it drops below an equivalent uh, asset reserve, then another coin called Luna, which is tied to Terra, would step in and bring it back up again. And so the two were tied through an algorithm, which is basically a a program that says when one rises and the other falls, you need to balance the two in between. Unfortunately, what happened is that... uh, During the cryptocurrency down cycle, we've been going through in second quarter, 2022, people started taking money out of Terra and out of Luna. And the issue with that is then one could not stabilize through the algorithm, the other to one US dollar. And that rapidly became what's called a death spiral because people started to lose confidence in the currency and the value of, terror um i can't remember these exact numbers but let's say the beginning of the week it was worth 20 billion dollars by the end of the week it was worth like 20 dollars. It, it just went through this horrible cycle um and the funny thing is i posted something the other day which is um how similar something like that could be seen as to be like a ponzi scheme like the bernie madoff ponzi scheme because it lost billions of dollars for millions of people and yet um Luna 2.0 and Terra 2.0 launched after the death spiral. Strangely enough, didn't have a lot of confidence in it.
0: (laughs) Mm, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, So if the idea is we have a global coin and governments want to have their own, how do we how do we get out of that model? Like how do we just need confidence that like, we just need confidence in say one, like say Bitcoin and everybody agrees like that is the global coin decentralized and no governments have any part in it. Because obviously these governments don't wanna hold, don't wanna take away any of their authority, right? So I'm sure there's a huge race for US and China to beat each other on having that universal coin, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, having worked most of my career in finance and technology, um, the financial system is tied strategically to the economy of nation states. And if you untie the link between finance and the economy and the nation state, then you start to see an, an unraveling of the way in which government and systems work. And that's the worry that governments have. On the other hand, there are now digital currencies which are launched, some of which I believe do have great value. I'm not a huge believer in Bitcoin, if I'm honest, because I think it's too libertarian Um, and the the libertarians don't like me because I say you cannot have money without government. But what they don't understand is I don't say national government, I mean government Mm -hmm. and the government can be the network and the network of the people. And therefore, I'm much more of a believer of, for example, Ethereum, which is another alternative um, distributed ledger technology that many refer to as smart contracts. It has a coin called Ether behind it. And the reason why I see more value in that network is because governments and corporations are using that technology as the backbone of things that they're starting to to develop themselves, including some digital currencies in the meantime you've got el salvador and some other countries converting to accepting dollars and bitcoins um it's going to be a mess for the next decade because of what i said at the, uh, earlier you know if you have 18000 currencies you don't need that many <laughs> mm-hmm. and the government's challenge is obviously to try and keep the belief in the in the government and not let the belief in the network take over I think that's going to be really difficult under the next generation of the internet when we talk about Web3 and the metaverse, because effectively, a bit like something that um, you, you may remember, but you look far too young, Holly, but there was something called Second Life, and the whole idea was if you don't like your real life, you can have another life online. Well, that's that's what we're now moving into in this next generation of the internet, and another life online through the network can have a currency that's never even seen by a government in a nation state.
0: You know, it it reminds me, um, you know, governments being so powerful, they're going to try and convince the people that um, that use it that they have value and that maybe they'll have some sort of cryptocurrency with the idea or giving people the idea that it's decentralized and that they have power over that currency but i don't see how any nation state could separate that concept of church and state to you know the old concept of churches i don't think they could ever do that and i don't know that anybody would have confidence in it
1: i think there's different levels of people um so some people believe in the idea of the libertarian power of the government of the network um most people don't equally what happens when the network doesn't work what happens if you lose your virtual wallet or it's broken into in some way or you can't remember your second factual authentication and password in fact i just saw this um over the weekend that a, a, a digital entrepreneur uh, had his house was hit by lightning and all of his technologies were burnt to smithereens oh, wow. and he, he, he needs a second factual authentication to get his password, but he needs his password to get his second factual authentication. It's a, <laughs> it's, it's a digital loop that you you know, it, 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 you know can't break. Um, so I, I think people will naturally go with where they're comfortable. And where, where I sit is whatever you put on a network coin, um, particularly crypto um, coins, you have to be comfortable with the idea that you can lose that money because there's not much regulation in that area uh there are some regulated exchanges but a lot of it is like the lunar terror story or mount gox which lost loads of bitcoins 10 years ago you can't get the money back they even had a canadian exchange where the founder died in india and he was the only person who knew the password for the exchange so the exchange shut down with millions of dollars lost yeah i would prefer to have Money in property, money in art, money in the bank, and money on, on the network. So sp- uh, well, I, uh, sp- spread your assets.
0: Right. Yeah. The, the old adage, um, diversify your assets still holds true, right? HODL's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is Yes that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now, back to our interview. I want to go a little deep into uh, a couple of things i picked up from some of your books. So, and, and maybe this is going to be getting deeper, it's going to go on another level, but in your book, Digital Human... Um, And I went on there just to get a little uh, snip of its um, description. So I'm, I'm just giving it a little piece of it and you can elaborate. But it explores the transformations that are sweeping through all spheres of life. The domination of global digital giants, the advent of new financial structures like fintech, the disruption brought about by Bitcoin, the rise of robots, and the fall of banks. So a standout line from your book was not only will everyone on the planet be connected digitally, they can be raised out of poverty through inclusion. Now, that just like grabbed my heartstrings. So can we dive into your thoughts on blockchain and cryptocurrency and how this may level the playing field for those in poverty? I know going deep now.
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, it's it's interesting that the states that are most actively using Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are those where the um, state itself has lost um, trust of the people. So I mentioned El Salvador, but we've seen Venezuela um, and a number of other countries, um, Zimbabwe um, and the the Democratic Republic of the Congo, for example, uh, moving towards cryptocurrencies as the accepted way to exchange, because there's more trust in that than there is in the nation state. Um, And then you have to say, well, it must be interesting that if you're in a country that has lost trust in its government, has hyperinflation, and is not as developed in our own thinking as some other countries or regions like Europe, America, and China, then how do the people get access to such services? And it's really down to it's not all the people, it's some of the people. Um, But the gist of what I was saying in digital human, and this came from visiting many of the African nations. Um, I've traveled around um, Rwanda, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Kenya, Ethiopia, and um, many other countries across the region. And what intrigued me is that um, anybody who had access to a basic phone could trade and transact and do commerce. And what I mean by basic is a 2G phone you know not not 5g or 4g second generation um and even the functionality in that 2g phone has become more advanced through companies that are developing in the african nations services around mobile payment systems so you, you can actually do geolocation using a 2g transaction for example and even if someone doesn't have a 2g phone i'm pretty sure they will know someone who has one so that's what i mean about everybody's included and in fact, I spoke at the United Nations about this uh, about three years ago. And um, afterwards, some people came up to me and said, you're deluded, Chris, this is not true. And yet everywhere I go in every nation of the world, particularly those in emerging economies, I find everybody's got a phone or an ac- access to a phone, um, it, even if it's a basic phone. So it's it's not deluded. It's, it's actually here today. Uh, I t- I'll tell you a very quick story offhand, which is in 1995, showing my age, maybe 96, a journalist said to me, Do I seriously believe that someone one day could make a payment from the top of Mount Everest? And I said, Yes. And in 2014, someone made a payment from the top of Mount Everest using a mobile phone. So it's not deluded. No, it's
0: very cool. Actually, you're I I guess you saw the trend, you know, you see forward, that's, that's really uh, important, especially in the field you're in.
1: Well, that's what, that's what I spend all, all my time doing, trying to look for what's next. And I've done that for you know, all of my career. And it, it started, actually, because um, I did the fantastic presentation many years ago. And the feedback forms were saying it was good. I said, one said, tell me something that I don't know. One out of five. And I thought, shoot, yeah. What I've told him is everything that he knows, which is the state of the world today. And ever since then, I've always tried to look at the state of the world tomorrow.
0: That's a great way to look at it. Um and then you get to share your vision on shows like this, so this is great. I appreciate it. Um, I want to um, bring up another book, Digital for Good. Um, we're sort of—I can't go through all sixteen books, by the way—but I'm going to stop with Digital for Good because, again, this this pulls at my heartstrings. So, again, pulled a little bit from from your website on this to give a little context for my Culture Factor family. Um, but digital for good looks at everything from how banking plays a role in the climate emergency through the fintech world using technology to overcome issues of inequality and inclusion. It's a really heavy sentence, Chris. That's what I'm going to say. There's a lot in there. So I'd like to understand this intersection. Can you share your vision for fintech and lifting us out of this global climate crisis and possibly helping marginalized lives?
1: Okay, so digital for good was bubbling as an idea for a long time. Um, In fact, going back to the 2008 financial crisis when um, banks were being accused of being socially useless. And during the last decades, a lot of the fintech world has come out with a purpose-driven model of saying we want to be socially useful as well as delivering value and making money. And at the end of the 2010s, we then had this discussion in some of the big American institutions around stakeholder capitalism, moving away from shareholder capitalism. So the idea of a business being purely there to make profit is no longer the right business model. It's got to be profit with a purpose that's delivering value to society and to the planet. And I thought to myself, there's no point in me shouting or talking about these things. Although I, I do. <laughs> um, but I ended up inviting over 20 people who are friends of mine around the world to be interviewed or to write chapters. And so there's actually um, several contributions from the North Americas, South Americas, Asia, the African nations, and Europe. Uh, I, I miss the Antarctic for some reason, too, too many penguins. Um, and the themes of the book actually ended up once i was editing it because it needs to be edited so it's digestible and doesn't look like a load of gibberish you know that contradicts each other um but there's a whole section that begins with esg environmental social governance uh within the community today and how technology and finance can deliver that agenda and support that agenda there's then a whole range of things around purpose and what does purpose mean and the subtext of the book's title is if you you need to stand for something or you will fall although i find interesting everyone always says as as they talk about my book um oh you need to stand for something or you will fail uh fall or fail um either way i can't stand up for falling down it's all about you know you've got to have clear purpose particularly with um the the demographics of youth who, who are looking to you know, be around businesses that they feel align with their own values and their own beliefs there's then a whole section around transparency for example which is you know, if, if you claim you align with their beliefs and you have an ESG agenda and then you do greenwashing which is where a lot of banks do this they say look we're sustainable we're investing in um, you know non-fossil fuel industries that are um, and renewables and then you lift under the hood and find that actually 97% of what they invest in is in fossil fuel industries and non-renewables then you have let your purpose down and your ESG credentials down so transparency is a key part the inclusion part came from a couple of contributors particularly um in fact we just did a meeting around the book this week with Viola L- Llewellyn uh who's the co-founder of Avamba, which is a um company that tries to use the mobile technologies for inclusion across african nations and she makes several comments but my two favorite ones is this is not your granddaddy's africa africa today is seen by many who are not african as still being the granddaddy's africa of famine and poverty and dictatorships it's not the granddaddy's africa there's actually a huge amount of wealth in africa today and equally her second line is around If you look at Africa as nations of poverty, you'll miss the opportunity to see the nations that are building wealth. Nigeria will probably be in the G7 by the end of this decade. And yet, what's your mental view of Nigeria? You know, it probably is a lot of the granddaddy Africa things. So there's many themes in the book. And then we end up with, so where is all this going and what's the solution? And I think finance and technology is the solution to the world's problems. I don't think they are the problem. I I think they can solve so many things, but it needs a different mentality. A little bit like, this is not your granddaddy's Africa. It's not your granddaddy's Europe or granddaddy's America. You know, we need, or or even grandmas. (laughs) We we need to get to to a, a world that recognizes diversity and inclusion and how technology can solve climate emergency and ESG issues along with finance, because finance is at the heart of why we have these issues. Some figures um, that I raise in my presentations, and they still astound me, is that 71% of all the greenhouse gas emissions are produced by 100 fossil fuel companies who got $4.6 trillion of investment from the biggest 60 banks since the Paris Accord of 2015. If we could just stop them doing that, that's what will make the difference. And Gail Bradbrook, who's a co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, is one of the contrib- contributors in the book. And you know, she's saying, I'm not trying to stop you having fossil fuel investments. I'm just trying to stop you having new ones.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, that, that, that is a key.
0: Right, right. Right. So we just don't continue down the same road. You know, it's, it's uh, really cool to me I'm, I'm you know in a lot of different rooms uh, on social audio and um, I read a boatload of newsletters from all different organizations and I think there is a and I, won't, I don't want to say it's just the generation that's coming up because I think there's a lot of people fed up in all, ki- in all different generations that are looking at this as a new model and building that social good into it. Um, they're, you know, using different, um, they're staking kind of like what you were talking about a little bit. Um, and I, and I feel as though the, the DAOs that are being created, the decentralized autonomous organizations are also building in social good components. So I feel like there are a lot of people involved in converting how we're dealing with finance and a decentralized currency, and trying to build out something in Web three that looks better, that um, has more transparency, like you were speaking of, that has a greater purpose, like you were speaking of, um, that will help le- level the playing field, like we talked about. Um, and I don't—I guess you see this too—is—is is this correct?
1: Yeah, I, I certainly. Um, when I've been interviewing companies around these themes found that the younger companies have very clear values and purpose and feelings around how their company has to tie finance technology and society together uh, and not just deliver profit for shareholders Um, i don't find that in the older institutions and i think it's because the older institutions have lost their way um some of the biggest banks in the world were founded for community, and we still have community banks. But when you think about the big, biggest banks today, do we feel that they're delivering for society and for community or purely existing to leverage quarterly returns? And too many of them, it's the latter, because that's how the leadership of those institutions are measured, measured and rewarded. If we can change the reward and measurement mechanisms, we can change the world. And that's where I think a lot of the rebalancing will come from. And what's interesting right now is, you know, when you, I saw a figure the other, the other day, so FinTech, which is an area I deal with all the time, was worth 3% of the total financial market capitalization of the financial industry in 2010. In 2021, it's worth 38%. So just 10 years, we've seen the, f- the FinTech community rise from being virtually nothing, 3% to 38% of the financial markets value and that's because that all the future value is in the 186-plus unicorns that are fintechs. It's not in the old incumbents.
0: Interesting. Um, I wonder um, how many uh, failed SPACs are living in there.
1: <laughs> Probably quite a number, quite a number. You know, these these things come and, come and go a little bit like NFTs. You know, I think SPACs and NFTs haven't had their day, but um, they, they lost a lot of their shine
0: yeah it's it's interesting though i think um the um the spirit behind the nft will still rise again i think it can be i do believe that the there's magic in the nft and i believe it lives in its utility um so i do believe that um it will rise again in my personal opinion i don't know if i'll be right but um i guess that's part of my vision
1: the newest, the newest one I'll give you is Soul Token. I'm sorry? Which, uh, you, soul Token. Okay. Um, it's just a, a paper produced by um, Microsoft um, and Vitalik Buterin, who's the creator of Ethereum. And the idea is that your identity in Web3 will be based on um, a soul token that represents all of your life. But you release what part of that token needs to be uh, accessed on demand when it needs to be accessed for that piece. Um, but your life is now a digital life. So you have a toll token that represents your digital life. It's kind of a little bit scary, but I'm investigating the paper. I haven't read it yet, but I kind of find that idea weird. Cause I always remember for an April fall, there's a gaming company that um, allowed you to download the game for free uh, and you just had to click. I agree to the terms and conditions. And within the terms and conditions is you agree that we can take your soul and give it to the devil. And 80% of people clicked without even reading.
0: Wow. Isn't that interesting? You know, um, that soul token feels very big brother to me. I'm not Mm. sure that I feel very comfortable with that. I don't think that I would sign up for that. Let's put it that way.
1: Well, I didn't think I'd sign up for all my stuff being in the cloud, but so be it.
0: (laughs) All right, fair, fair answer to that one. Um, You know, when we started our conversation, um, before we started recording, I had told you that my show was born um, on the conversation around company culture. And of course, a lot of the same concepts are coming up, which is so interesting to me, like transparency, purpose, um, a, a lot of the same tenants that, you know, the C-suite would talk about, uh, when I started my show and a lot of what websites are built on, you go to look at their mission state statement, it's always, you know, people, purpose, and planet, right? Um, how do you, do you think that we really will end up with that? Because I have to say, I think a lot of Um, What I have seen, I have not seen as many of the C-suite walk that talk, and I've seen a lot of websites have their lofty mission statement and never live up to it. Do you think there's hope?
1: (laughs) I do. That's what I was saying about greenwashing and the fact that um, a lot of financial institutions talk so much about ESG and um, the fact that they're investing in these areas when they're not. Um, that the network lays them bare so you, you do find out I mean Deutsche Bank got raided by the police last week for their asset management group telling porky pies which is British cockney slang for lies um, about their their investments in ESG um, and I see exactly the same in JP Morgan Chase in Bank of America in BlackRock um, you know and the reason I, I can see it is that People are talking about it, sharing it through Reddit, networking online to get the news out there. Um, and this is what Extinction Rebellion and some of their um, brethren are campaigning about. You know, they're breaking bank windows. They're standing outside bank branches naked and painting the bank walls with messages around "You, you, 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 you are lying." Um, it, you get found out. The trouble is, that I I don't think the general mass of the public are that are that bothered. Because you know, how many have changed their bank account because they saw a protest outside the bank branch of naked people spraying the wall saying that the bank lies? I, I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's, um, that's true because we know how hard it is to change banks. <laughs> we have <a> lot.
1: <laughs> It's actually not that difficult. It's, it, it just it feels difficult because it mm-hmm. feels like you've been there 20 years and you've had a relationship with them longer than your partner.
0: Yeah, right. This is true. I I just think of all of the bill paying and having to transfer that over. But I do agree with you. We have to pay more attention to where we do our business um, so that when we make decisions with our dollars, we're taking into account uh, climate and transparency and all of those things. So I guess we just need to read your blog too and just really pay attention to some of the things you unearth, right?
1: and i just throw the question you know if you fly a lot do you always click that carbon offset button um and pay an extra dollar for the carbon offset and if you if you don't please do
0: oh that's a great idea you know very often i'll have a left field question or i'll ask my guests is there something i'm not asking you but with you i feel as though i want to ask the question because i feel that you have you know that you are a visionary and you see a lot of things in the future um as opposed to giving us facts is there something that you'd like to share with my culture factor family that they should keep their eye on
1: uh, we've mentioned quite a lot around you know web 3 nfts distributed ledger technology the metaverse quantum computing artificial intelligence um, but the main one would be Captain Cake and the Candy Crew, To Sweetly Go Where No Sweet Has Gone Before, a series of five books designed for three to seven-year-old children written by a guy called Chris Skinner.
0: <laughs> well, we will definitely put that in the show notes for everybody. Um, you know, I'm I'm of the school of thought that I want to work with companies that uh, want to um, enter web 3 better than we're exiting web 2. And it sounds like you have the same vision in mind. So, And you're starting with the youth with the uh, book. So we'll put that in the show notes.
1: Great stuff, Holly. Very nice to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you. too. Thank you for coming on Culture Factor.
1: Thank you.